0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. I'm recording these Thursday morning, so hopefully people had enough time to get their questions in, but if not, just queue them up in this week's post, wherever it is that you support, and I'll get to them next week. So let's jump in and see what we got. First up, over on Patreon, John Anderson wants to know what do I think the chances are that we get some sort of emulated serial port or link play functionality for the Saturn or PlayStation Mr. Course. They have a very dumb dream that involves multi-screen multiplayer for those platforms. It doesn't sound like a a dumb dream. It sounds like a nerd dream. I love it. Uh, From a technical point of view, I think it's plausible. I think you would have to use the Snack port, obviously create a piece of hardware, and then link that directly into the cores. But I don't know if anybody is working on that. Uh, and if, obviously in the case of the Saturn core, I think that would probably need to be up and running in a, an official beta before anything like that was even discussed. So my, my guess is that it is completely technically possible. It would just really take somebody with knowledge of the protocols and how the cores work and how Snack works in order to link that all together But, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, I think at least from a technical point of view, not only should it be plausible that that would work, it should be plausible that that would work with two misters and two original PlayStations or or whatever combo you want. So I, I think the chances are good that we might get it, but I don't know if that'll be anytime soon. And with, with all love and respect to your question, I'm not asking the developers for that. Unless, you know, there's somebody out there that already has the knowledge and wants to do it, but Robert's put so much work into the PlayStation core, I wouldn't ask him to do this, at least until he took a break and worked on something else. Ghost of the Sun has a typical modern TV stand with just two shelves on it, meant to hold a flat panel TV that's kind of close to the ground to provide the proper viewing height for TVs, and they were wondering if the closed-back design could be possibly harmful to their consoles since it could theoretically prevent heat from escaping effectively. They're not running anything more recent than Nintendo 64 on the stand, and the back panels are made of pretty thin plywood, so they think it'll be okay, they've just been increasingly paranoid about extending their consoles' lifespans as of late, so they just wanted to see what I thought bunch of thoughts on this. First, um, it's good that you're asking these questions, but I really wouldn't worry about it unless you wanted to do some minor checking. So one of the things that uh, you know I, I usually tell people is if you're very worried about heat in a scenario like that, take your console and grab something like have, uh, this little heater that I use for projects that's like a refrigerator or heater, it's a thermometer. It's like a refrigerator thermometer that uh, you could stick the probe anywhere you want. And it's not super accurate, but it's better than guessing. And I use this all the time for just basic stuff like, okay, you know, if the heat tolerance of this is between X and Y, if it hits Z, I'm in trouble type of thing, Uh, not for precise measurements. There's thermal probes you could use for that. So I would just stick your consoles uh, you know, temporarily, just on the top of the TV stand, and maybe tape this sensor to where the vents are. Obviously, don't cover all the vents, just cover like a little piece. Or if you really want, try to run the cable into it or something and let it run, play, play a game that you would normally play for a normal amount of time, and then do the same thing inside the TV stand and see what happens. My guess Is that it would be completely fine because it is open on one side it would be hotter but not past the temperature tolerances of whatever the components might be Um, now that's just a guess you're gonna have to double check where you you know where do you live what time of year is it is it very humid there's a lot of things involved but as just a general what do i think i don't think you really have much to worry about Um, You know, worse comes to worse, you could try to add very quiet little fans in the back, uh, but I honestly don't think it's going to be too much of an issue. I did also want to address the fact that Ghost of the Sun said it looks like their comment got lost in the mix this week, so they're submitting it again. I remember answering this. I remember leaning forward and grabbing my uh, my thermal probe here. I didn't call it, I didn't call it a heater when I grabbed it the first time. So this must have gotten deleted in post, which happens sometimes. Um, it's never intentional. I don't know how it could have happened, but I, I try to keep a very strict workflow for this stuff. So my apologies to you, Ghost of the Sun. Um, but just a reminder to everybody whenever you have a question like this, if it's not answered, you can always DM me through all of the services or just re-ask like Ghost of the Sun did. But really sorry about that. I have no idea how it happened, but hopefully at least I was able to get the answer out there now. Next up, Derf was recently given a 25-foot Extron-branded BNC to VGA cable. They decided to use it to chain their PVM BVM output to their FV310. So they grabbed a DB15 discard adapter and an RGB to Comp, so that their FV310 consumer-grade, really awesome Sony CRT could accept the signal as component video YPbPr. So it seems like the chain is RGBs coming out of the PVM and BVMs, going down this cable into an adapter that really just converts the D-sub port to SCART with the resistor in there to make sure the voltage isn't too high. And that is sent to then the RGB to comp, converting it to component video. That should work totally fine as long as it's a 15 kilohertz RGB S signal. So anything out of a console. But if they hook it all up with sync unplugged, They can see it has correct colors, but a scrambled image, as you would expect, because of course, sync isn't hooked up. But as soon as they plug sync in, the picture first snaps to a perfect signal, and then a split second later, switches to black and white. They also tried a different do-it-yourself DB15 discard adapter, both with and without the 330 ohm resistor on sync, instead of the DB15 to SCART dongle. Uh, always leave that resistor on there, by the way, though. You don't wanna to send too high voltage over to any of the, any SCART equipment at all. But my answer to you is both the same as always, and then of course I'm gonna get into the nerding part, but you're gonna to need to start removing one thing at a time to figure out what the issue is. So what I would do personally to start is grab any console, 15 It's obviously, with an RGB SCART cable, Plug that directly into the RGB to Comp and see what happens. If that works, then you know the console's fine, the RGB to Comp's fine, your TV's fine. And then start backing out from there. Um, Maybe uh, it's possible that something is wired weird in the Xtron VNC to VGA cable. So I would try that next. Um, And, you know, here's just a little bit of perspective. I know this probably does not apply to you, but... A million years ago, when I was first starting to test all this stuff, I had a very similar setup where I was running RGBs over D-sub. I had a very similar cable, may have been an Extron, I don't remember, and I was plugging it into my eight-inch PVM. And the I was using a five B and C cable, so horizontal sync is C sync, and V sync was just dangling. And every time I was trying to do something, it would you know flop around. So I just plugged that into the sync output of the eight inch P- uh, pvm thinking well if this VSync isn't connected to anything at all right now including on the inside of the device that you know that was originally modded with it then it wouldn't affect anything it was essentially just adding a second ground but holding the cable in place and as soon as you plug it in the signal got a little weird so that immediately meant that something was wired differently in that cable because if The ground was shared, that should be fine because you already have four grounds from the same cable plugged in, RGB and horizontal sync. So why am I getting interference then? Because vertical sync wasn't connected to anything on the opposite side. So it's not a loop problem. It's not, you know, it couldn't be a ground loop problem. So something was wired weird in that cable. And maybe it was a very specific cable for certain projectors, maybe, It was just a shitty cable with a frayed uh, connector on the inside. So, while that might not be your problem at all, I just wanted to tell the story just for people to visualize. Just because something looks right doesn't mean it might actually be right. Some weird little piece might be off in there. So. Uh, No clue what's going on, but I'd be willing to bet it's something like that where you go at the end of it, you go, oh, wow, I wouldn't have guessed that because this all seemed like it looked fine. So keep pulling things apart one at a time and see if you could nail down what the problem is. Uh, Definitely let me know if it's the Extron branded uh, VGA to BNC cable, because maybe that's what happened to me years ago. Next up, Lily larsney has been tinkering with their RetroNAS setup, and remembered that I mentioned in my RetroNAS video about potentially connecting a Raspberry Pi zero 02 to the mode as a USB gadget. So that way the mode sees the Raspberry Pi Two Zero as if it were just a USB stick, but it actually just acts as a network bridge. They never saw any tutorials about that, but they set one up. They used open iSCSI protocol on the NAS to create a file IO containing PlayStation games. And made a gadget that mounted the drive as a usb device this works and they could play games on the playstation and a lot of games are totally playable but full motion videos and streaming audio skips a lot games that rely on voice acting and cutscenes, like dino crisis are impossible because the audio and video constantly cuts out or skips so they were curious if i had any resources to get it working better or knew anyone else who had done this They'd heard of people doing this on higher end consoles, like PS3, PS4, so maybe they just need a higher end NAS server to host it. They'd like to set up something for all their USB consoles so none of them need a physical drive connected and just have a Raspberry Pi node attached. As a note, they tested the RPi02 as a USB gadget with a local image file and were able to play games from that without the skipping at all. So, Lily, a few things. First of all, happy holidays to yourself. Second of all, excellent nerding badass you did absolutely everything that the exact and and even presented the question the way i needed it so well freaking done um good job getting it working i never had time to kind of go around that Uh, I do have a few questions, tips, whatever you want to say that might help. Um, And then we could kind of keep working on this because I think this is awesome. And I would love to have this end up as a guide on the website, the wiki, everywhere. Probably a guide on the wiki and then I'll do a post about it on RetroRGB to send people there. But um, So wireless is what's coming to mind first because back in a previous life, I did a ridiculous amount of testing on wireless networks and uh, how much bandwidth you could actually use in a real life environment on that. So the fact that you put the local image file on the Raspberry Pi 02 and that worked perfect means that that's not the issue. There is one other thing before I get into the wireless, um, is your NAS connected to your network via uh, ethernet cable and is it gigabit ethernet? I do realize there's always fringe scenarios. You're waiting for parts to come in because we're in a part shortage, or you built something awesome out of leftover stuff you had laying around, but you might not have one with a full gigabit ethernet port. Maybe it's only 10100. Totally understand fringe case scenarios, but we should all be connecting our network-attached storage devices via gigabit ethernet or higher. And you could even use a bunch of methods if you have a old PC with two ethernet ports. There's a lot of things you could do, but basically, Minimum gigabit Ethernet, so that would be number one. Is it is your NAS itself connected via gigabit? Uh, number two is RetroNAS updated, because I believe SORIC did a bunch of uh, updates for performance recently that that kind of increased a lot of the transfer speeds. And then lastly, you know, j- those are some pretty easy ones to start with. But my gut's saying this sounds like a wireless issue, so what is the maximum protocol that the raspberry pi 02 can use does your wireless router support that protocol uh, meaning you get the maximum throughput and how close is the playstation to the wireless router so that's an easy one. Just move your PS closest to, you know, put sit it next to the wireless router and see if that changes. Um, but those are things that we got to work on, because if you find out that the Raspberry Pi 02 has a very fast wireless chip in it and your router supports that and your let's just say your RetroNAS is, you know, loaded on a beefy server with a two gigabit Ethernet port or something like that then we really need to dig in and figure out what's going on because this should be a solvable problem and a really cool thing for people to use. But I would just kind of start with all those much easier steps first, just to kind of figure out what's going on. But I love this idea. And I really, really, really hope more optical drive emulators uh, ship with wireless chips built in so that we could have this functionality because it's really expensive just and time consuming just sitting there and maintaining your games and ripping them and copying them back and forth between usb sticks and oh you know now i want to copy my game save file oh here's a new patch whatever else It just it's a pain and having it all centrally located makes it so much easier. So I love the idea. I love that you did this. Um, you asked if I knew anybody else who had done this only one other person, the person who sent me the initial instructions. Um, so I have that sitting somewhere. I could put everybody in touch. We could jump on a a discord server and talk about it. I know a few other of my fellow nerds were going to give it a try at some point. I just don't know if they had time. So, um, do the basic troubleshooting steps with wireless and, and uh, Gigabit Ethernet and kind of see where you go from there and let me know. But this is awesome. It's a great idea. And I really want to see this implemented as easily as possible. Tony Shadwick's been on the lookout for an HDMI diagnostic box, and they haven't had much luck. Ideally, it would sit between the display and source device and show exactly what's going on across the wire. Resolution, color depth, EDID encoding, etc. Something like this has to exist, and they're drawing a blank on what precisely they should be searching for. So if you need one right now today, the HD Fury devices are probably going to be the best bet. They're very expensive, and this is why. So if you're just looking for a good HDMI splitter, if you're just looking to do downscaling on some of the ports, those that HDMI device shootout video I put out is absolutely a better way to go. They're a fraction of the price, like drop a zero out from the end of it type of device. However, if you're starting to do things like this, those are available. You could read the edid, do the spoofing with them, change whatever you would like. I mean, they're they're really everything that you would need. And I believe the ones that have a network jack in it give the most control because then you could just fire that up in a web browser and go from there. You could back down to their cheaper ones that have a OLED, uh, like a a small little OLED screen on it that gives you that info. I believe those are more affordable. They're probably like 200 bucks or something like that. Um, And that's really where I would go with that. Uh, What I would like to see are do-it-yourself projects. I've seen a lot of those single board computers that look like Raspberry Pis with HDMI pass-through. And one, I, I even saw one last year that claimed it did HDMI capture, I don't know. I'd like to see how that worked, but that might be a really good idea. Um, Maybe HDMI capture cards could do that too. Uh, Depending on the capture card, you might want to look into that. Uh, But and and I, you know, any kind of do-it-yourself thing would be great. You know, the RetroTink 4K with its HDMI input that would be pretty cool too. Um, Any kind of older but you know very expensive for its time processor might be able to have that, but. What I think I would I would really like is you know I think if I were in your position right now I would pick up one of the HD Fury devices I would pick up the cheapest one that I uh, that did what I thought I needed it to do But I would also really like to see this be a more do-it-yourself project that we could kind of make ourselves and have like a homebrew version. So if anybody out there is working on that, uh, I know we've talked for years about having an HDMI box that could output test patterns, could go down as low as 240p via super resolution. So probably 1920 by 240, which if you're testing a CRT, that doesn't make a difference. So Anything like that, if anybody has one in the works, let me know and maybe we could all get together with the right people and finish the project off. But I think the answer for you today is HD Fury stuff. However, if anybody knows cheaper stuff out there, please let me know because I would definitely be interested. Belbant wants to know what have been some nightmare scenario projects that I have taken on. Oh, man. Uh, I got to be honest. Usually it's the opposite. Usually I call up Jose and give him the nightmare that I've created and (laughs) hire him to come fix it. (laughs) Sorry, dude. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Uh, To be honest, there's been been a lot of stuff that I've kind of stepped in to try to help that started out as a nightmare, but usually it was less of a technical issue and more of a Me, you know, being asked to step in, not butting my nose where it doesn't belong, sometimes I do that though, but me being asked to step in and me going, okay, stop everything that you're doing right now, focus on this, this is the main part of this project, this is why people will buy it, and yes, you're going to get trolls that ask for all these other things, but start with this, let's get this done, And if it requires a hardware change, that just means there's two versions of the product, a cheaper one and a pro version or something. And that's kind of what I've been doing for a very long time. When I I used to work with that company where I did development and technical sales engineering, I think is what they called it. I I don't know, but it was a small company. So my bosses would make up a different title for me, depending on how big of the company we were going into, which I thought was awesome. But um, I mean, that's kind of what the... technical project manager might be a good way to describe most of the projects that I get involved in. So while I do have technical knowledge and I do work physically with this stuff, it's more about I know a little bit about a lot of things and I work with people who are experts in their field, which is hopefully awesome for everybody because that way they don't have to go and learn multiple different things that they don't really need to. And I've kind of already done that. So my nightmare scenario projects, uh, which I love, by the way, but they're mostly just me being asked to help out on something and me just kind of uh, reorganizing everything, and just saying, all right, start with this, then do that. And then, OK, have at it. And when it comes to small companies in retro gaming, you know, single people, small teams, I never ask for money ever. I've many times asked to be the person who does the launch video for that product, but that's it. I don't even ask for free products. I asked to borrow them, of course, but uh, any company that's like an actual established company, it's funny that a lot of companies like that have reached out to me. And then when they realize I wouldn't work for them for free, they ghosted me, never talked to me again, and you know, purposely cut me out of stuff, which is just mind blowing to me, that that people would just expect, you know, bigger companies would just expect me to work for free. So that kind of cracks me up, and uh, you know, so I guess that might be the nightmare scenario. Somebody asks me to help out. I step up and start working on it just to find out that uh, they wanted me to do it all for free while they're making a lot of money on something. So that that's kind of the nightmare I would say. Whereas working with small developers and kind of helping out because I already know a lot of people in the scene, I, I love that uh, even if it's a messy project to step in on. Um, those are I, I really enjoy that, and I would encourage anybody to reach out, and I'll, I'll always try my best if you know as long as time allows. But as far as nightmare modding projects. Um, it's usually just when I screw something up and, and give it to somebody else. <laughs> couple from Oliver Clear, and uh, I want to do it out of order because I want to talk for a little bit about the first thing they mentioned. But first, they were looking for a safe way to send a SCART signal to a custom GBS control that they bought. And the seller said that they shouldn't need to worry about adding resistance or putting anything in there, but they're still nervous about plugging a passive SCART adapter directly into it. Um, They'd prefer not to have to take apart this case to mod it, if uh, at all, because it would be part of a permanent setup. So the picture that they're showing is a custom GBS control in a case with a SCART port. And that means that you should be completely and totally fine to plug whatever you want into that. Um, So there's a couple of comments about that. First, that will almost surely be going to the VGA port, the D-sub input of the GBS control. And from that context... There's no safety issues of plugging a passive meaning no sync stripper built in a passive scart cable like the seller mentioned directly into it. The worst thing that could happen is it just doesn't sync, so you don't damage anything, you just don't get a signal. Now, if they put a sync stripper circuit in there to properly boost it to the voltage, to add the correct resistance that, that's needed if you want to send it an RGBS signal, then that would take all of it that would take care of all of that for you. So, um, I really don't think that this is a worry. I think you should absolutely just go for it and plug it in worst case scenario. You might need to try to figure out some kind of sync stripper scenario for it. But I really think that if a seller is making a GBS control with a SCART port, they should have compensated for all of this. And the only scenario to worry about is if you have a SCART head with a sink stripper in it, that's not properly built. Plugging into this that may have a sync stripper in it, that might be the only issue. But as long as you're buying cables from links on retrorgb.com, that's not going to be a problem. So I would I would absolutely just plug in and go and not worry about that at all. Um, and if and if anything does happen, you know, just contact the seller and let them know. Yeah, as long as you have well built cables going into this, you should have zero issue with that. Now, the other thing Oliver wanted to mention is they're wondering if I had come across any good alternatives to the original scart to dvi project. Yeah, we finished it. And I I think I remember why we haven't released it yet. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that um, because I like this project and it keeps falling on its face. It's usually my fault. So first of all, Oliver, if I haven't released the project by next week, um, then just let me know in the comments and... You know, if two weeks from now I'm reading the comments and I see it, I'm gonna stop what I'm doing, stop recording the Q and As, and launch the project again. But some some background on that. So the SCART to DVI was a SCART input that's passed through uh, a device that adds a low pass filter to the RGB lines, and which you could toggle on and off, and also adds a sync stripper, which you could also toggle on and off, that was designed only to be used with data path vision capture cards. The reason I chose the DVI port is because we were looking to plug it directly onto the capture cards without any cables, because analog video cables, the longer they are, the more interference that's added. Now, a well-shielded six-foot cable will not add any visible interference to your signal. It does not matter. But if you're plugging consoles directly into a capture card for the purpose of analysis, then yeah, every little bit counts. So that's why I wanted the shortest distance. But I screwed up. I thought that um, I thought that these little dongles were available, just the very short one in, one out, uh, were would be available, so that we could connect the DVI receptacle port, because uh, both both are receptacle. So you know you would need something like this to meet it in the middle, because I couldn't find uh, port versions of the DVI connector. And I assumed that we would be able to just find these to compensate and bundle with them. Unfortunately, the only ones that we found were the two-inch ones, which, from a signal point of view, that's totally fine. But now it kind of it was it ended up being stupid to use the DVI port because that wasn't needed at all. We could have just used those same size and same quality dongles that just went from D-sub to DVI, and you're done. And using D-Sub VGA style means you could also use VGA to BNC cables to go into Extron cross points, or you could go into any other D-Sub style device switch or whatever that you needed to do that with. So uh, it was, and it was also frustrating because no matter how many signs I put up on the website, on the sale page, there were still people that thought it was a SCART to HDMI adapter. And there were still people who would email me and be, you know, uh, try and tell me that I screwed up by using a DVI port, which they were right, but not for the reasons they thought. Um, so we did change it to a D sub port. Uh, T did all the work, Tianfeng. That was one of the PCB plus assembly things that I had shown on the podcast at some point this year. And I think the reason that we never released it, oh, we, we renamed it the SCART cleaner just to not have to you know, that way people don't think DVI or VGA. We're still talking about a RGBS signal, just changing the ports for it. And, um, but I think the reason that we never got around to posting the files was because of the part shortage, because while a lot of these D sub VGA connectors look identical, the pinout or the layout is slightly different, which means when you run out of those, which they were running out all the time. Um, You go to buy one that looks just like it and it won't snap in. They don't line up. So I'm pretty sure that was the only reason why we didn't release it because I wanted to be able to tell people like, hey, download this. It's open source. Just drop credit wherever there's. But you sell them, but you could sell them. You make your own, modify it, whatever. But in doing so, I would have presented them with a bill of materials that didn't work. So that is why the project never released on the website. But I need to swing back around and finish that now because I think it's it's just really helpful and it's even helpful for people who let's say they got pretty good at soldering now they want to move on to smd stuff which is challenging why not work on something like this because you're you know it gives you good practice if you mess one up but you buy the parts for multiple cool Um, if you break one, you're not breaking an original console. You're breaking something, you're breaking a tool that you were about to create for yourself. So I love the project. I love what it accomplishes, even though it's just a basic, simple thing and we got to get it out. So thank you for reminding me. And, uh, like I said, if it's not out by next week, remind me and I'll, I'll get it out one way or another. Mondi wants to know if I had heard any news about the next round of JamEx boards. They know I'm not a spokesperson or rep for for retro gaming products. They just were politely asking if I knew. And I don't. uh, I don't know anything about that. I don't know where it's at now. I just know that I saw one in person and it looked cool. And I, I sent the one that they had lent me over to Modern Vintage Gamer, and he thought it looked cool, and that's basically where it ends. Uh, but next, is there something on the horizon or should they be looking at alternatives? What other Mr. Mini ITX Jamma combo boards are there? I don't know if there's any other combo boards out there. There's a couple of different JAMA projects. Obviously, Mr. Cade, I love the Retro Castle one and may maybe allegedly a new prototype of the Retro Castle one is en route to me, uh, which of course I would be doing a live stream as soon as it arrives. So if you're looking for just JAMA, you definitely got some good solutions. Maybe hang out. Uh, Well, I mean, I don't think the Mr. Cade ones are in stock anyway now, so you might just want to wait a short period of time for that. Um, And then as far as the Mini-ITX stuff, I I remember some people saying that they were building theirs, but I don't know if that ever released. So, uh, you know, I would just kind of decide what your use case is and also take total cost into, you know, into the mix for all of this. So I'm just gonna make up numbers here and I'm gonna go ridiculous so nobody thinks I'm telling, the, I'm telling actual numbers, but let's say a device that does both is $5,000 and you could get two devices for $1,000 each. Maybe it would be better to go about that. Obviously, I'm just going crazy in the prices because I don't want people to think I'm actually quoting what any of these are. Uh, so yeah, I would just kind of look at the total solution and see. One last one from monty they were recently asked what's the easiest way to connect an unmodded n64 to a modern-ish HDTV that does not go below 480p north american ntsc is rad 2x still the best solution i think overall that might be the just the most cost effective solution if it's available um, that the one from eon that's at least double the price that it should be, just being blunt here. Um, If you could find one used on the cheap, that should be a good solution as well. Uh, It is suspiciously identical to the Rad 2X, but it's definitely not a clone. And uh, you know, those are probably the easiest because you don't need anything else. You just plug it directly in. The RetroTINK 2X Mini is awesome and even came with an S-Video cable, except I think that's out of stock because of the part shortage. All of the other RetroTINK 2X products are excellent for this but they are out of stock. And for those you would need to buy extra cables. So this all kind of swings back around to how many original consoles are you going to be connecting to an HDTV? If it's, if the answer is one, then I really think at the moment, Rad 2X, or if you could find a cheap used Eon Super 64, I think it was called, both of those are are, are totally good solutions because it's just one thing to plug in and then plug it into your TV. But if there's more than one console that you're going to be connecting, that's when you really want to start looking into the RetroTank 5X. And that's a, a huge price jump, I understand that. But as you probably know, the, the advantage, advantages that you have of that far outweigh the cost if you take in a full setup into account. So once again, one N64 into one HDTV, that's probably overkill unless you love the N64. And at that point, maybe you might even want to HDMI mod it instead. But if you have an N64, an original NES, a Super Nintendo, a Genesis, know, a PlayStation, all of those that you could use different connectors with. So that would be RGB for Super Nintendo and Genesis. It would be composite for the NES, S-Video for the N64. You could have the whole plethora of ports then I would say the RetroTINK 5X is worth every penny because you just have to plug in whatever you already, whatever cable you already own, upgrade as necessary if you feel the need, and it has a million options. So, the easiest, the easiest way to connect an unmodded N64 to a modernish TV, Rad 2X, and a cheap used or on-sale Super 64, the only 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 scenario in which i would use those garbage terrible pound cables is if it's something like a turn-by-turn role-playing game and you just really want to get started and go but if somebody asks you the question you just might want to answer like hey there's a bunch of really good solutions if you just want to start playing here's a cheap one but you need to know that it kind of sucks it's cheap so maybe that's what you need to decide if you want to use it or not But as long as you understand that this is not how these games really look and feel, cool, go for it. And I I have seen plenty of people go, oh, you know what? It was neat. I got my shot of nostalgia, but I just I don't have the time for this yet. Maybe I'll swing back around next year. That makes sense. And those are the perfect, perfect uh, use for those garbage cables. That and testing, backups, whatever else you want to use. But I've also seen people do that and go, you know, thank you for letting me know. I love this, but something's off. There's like a flicker and, you know, the buttons feel sticky. That's what everybody usually says who doesn't know what lag is. If buttons feel sticky, it's like, no, that's lag. And then that's, that garbage solution ends up being their gateway drug to a better one. So as long as you present the information to whoever asked you properly, then if they just want to start out with the cheapest solution possible, cool. Go go with that one, um, and, and just kind of see where they're at from there. But uh, you know, this there's so many options nowadays where there were none. 10 years ago, basically. You know, the RAD 2X is a great one just because it's plug and play and it'll work with basically anything with a Nintendo multi-out port. But if they get one of those or if they go with the cheap one and they decide this is amazing, I love this, what could I do next? Now you could show them HDMI mods that are available for it. And same thing, if it's only really this console, then why would they need to get scalers and everything else? Just mod this one console to HDMI and you're awesome. So uh, yeah, just wanted to talk a little bit more about that than I probably should have because it's not yet as easy as just buy this one. But I'm really hoping after the part shortage ends and after a few other companies swing around, maybe we will have a very basic like, yep, yeah, just buy this one. You're good to go answer. I, I kind of hope that's the answer, but we'll see. Only time will tell. Well, that's it for this time. As always, if you have any questions, ask wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post, because the way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus, I love just scrolling through in real time and answering them like I always do. Uh, But anywhere that you support, put your question. They were only Patreon questions today, so that's why you only saw those pages. But any place is, you know, wherever you support, ask your questions, because I just appreciate your support so freaking much, and I just... I really enjoy doing these, and and hopefully it's just a fun way to kind of interact and, and get some of your nerdy questions answered. So as always, thank you all very much, and I'll see you next week.